0: Welcome back to Fad Dads. Today in the show, we do something a little bit different. Seth discusses The Tender Bar and tries to convince me to watch it. I talk about the documentary Jesus Music and try to convince Seth to watch it. And Seth tells me about Encanto and tells me whether I should watch it or not. All this and more on this episode of The Fad Dads. Welcome to the Fad Dads Podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Seth. And this is the show where we talk about movies and TV. Kind of whatever we want. And today we have a little bit more of a special episode because we are going to talk about three different movies, I guess two movies and one documentary. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are movies that uh, Seth has seen two of them, and I've seen one. And we're going to explain whether the other person should or should not watch (laughs) these movies.
1: Yeah, there are only so many uh, so much time in the day that Nathaniel and I have to go and watch all of these films and sometimes, you know, I watch some and Nathaniel watches others and um y- you know, we we can't just watch everything and talk about everything. So there are times when when I watch the ones that I watch and Nathaniel watches the ones that he watched, we we got to talk about them, you know, cuz they're out there. Yeah, and, and uh, I think
0: sometimes when I suggest a movie that we watch together, that doesn't work very out very well. Like in the in in uh, in the case of Snake Eyes, mm-hmm. uh, still uh, have not been forgiven
1: for uh, making Seth watch that one. But uh, well, that was that was recompense for me making you watch the Circle. That's true. <laughs> Seth, you
0: watched the Tender Bar. That's right. Which I think had a limited theatrical
1: release, but okay. is currently on online on Amazon Prime. Right. That's right. Yeah, it was like an Amazon Prime movie. Like they produced it as one of their films, and so it was recently released. I saw a few ads for it on Instagram, and so I decided to go ahead and give it a watch. It looked interesting. Now, what 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 made it look interesting to you? Uh, it looked pretty unique. It was. It's a coming-of-age story, which I guess is not a unique premise. It's based on a memoir written by an author I've never heard of, uh, but it was. It starred Ben Affleck and... Christopher Lloyd is also in it. Was as... that the kid who... No, Christopher
0: Lloyd's the... Uh... He's the old man He plays Doc Brown He didn't have the biggest role But he's a big like, he's, he's, a, he's in it He's in a, it, a big he's big in big it. Okay <laughs> And the, the, the young man I don't remember his name But I know he's in a lot of movies Yeah he's, I recognize his face
1: But I don't, I don't remember his name yeah.
0: He's I know he's Cyclops in X-Men The the new Ah uh, like the, the prequels okay, Prequels yep. Sequels <laughs> The uh, prequels <laughs> the, the sequel prequels <laughs> And he was also The character In Ready Player
1: One The main character Hmm that's where I've seen him. Now, I didn't watch the movie, but I saw the trailers, and so that's why he looks familiar. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so a few recognizable faces. The story looked kind of unique. Uh, it looked like it had a good spirit, and so I went I went ahead and I watched it last night, and I'm not disappointed by the film. Uh, that being said, I would be limited to encourage viewers to watch it. It, it is an R-rated film. I would say there's a it's, it's heavily involved in drinking and smoking and uh, there's plenty of profanity in it. And now, that's
0: Now um, it has bar in the name, so I would right. say that, that <laughs> it's kind of expected. <laughs> right.
1: So if, if you're a parent and and you're looking for a parental uh, recommendation, I would not advise it for younger viewers It's uh, not right, feel. Like. Yeah. There's a little bit of of, of um, sexual content, but it's not it's not explicit in any way. Well, okay. Depends on your definition of explicit. It's not. It's not very long or drawn out, and it's not. It's it's not. Not not as crazy. It's not, not crazy. It, yeah. yeah. It it didn't it didn't expound too much on it. So, anyways, as an R-rated film, I it was it was highly enjoyable. Um, it had some very good moments. I think that it was very well directed. It was directed by George Clooney. Okay. Um, and it it had a pretty cool story. I at the very end of it, I was kind of left thinking like, what was it really about? And it's truly, um, it's a story about a young man who's trying to find his way in the world. And And, and this is a, this movie takes place over a period of time, right?
0: And so it it ends as a more modern movie, but it has some elements that are in the 80s or
1: 90s, right? I think it's actually in the 70s. Okay. It's 70s set and kind of starts without him uh, as being like a 10-year-old child. And it kind of ends with him in his probably being like maybe 22. Okay. And so... The 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 central ideas that are discussed in the movies are kind of this young man growing up without a father figure, mm-hmm. or, or uh, he has a father figure in his uncle, played by Ben Affleck, who's kind of an awesome character that I really like. He, he's a likable character, mm-hmm. um, and his father, who is not in the picture, is not a good person, and that's why he's not part of his life. And so he's always struggling with his identity because his his name Jr. is. Stands for Junior, which I believe is because he's named after his dad in some way. But it, it, it's kind of like connected to his father. So right. they always call him Jr., but it's short for Junior, which is connected to his father. Right. And so he identifies strongly with Jr., but when people ask him, what does that stand for? Which happens a lot in the film. He's always asked that question. What does that stand for? Right. Right. Like it, it John, always Richard, or what, you know, <laughs> what, what, what is that? It, it brings up his internal conflict of my father was never around you know so how has that kind of developed through the through the film what's the what's the end result of that so he realizes towards the end uh, he he, when he's a very young man he's always searching for his father is is a is a radio dj and so he's always searching for his father on the radio and so that's kind of a running joke even when he goes older that i'm looking for my dad who lives on the radio (laughs) and as he grows he kind of has to reconcile that as he's trying to become a writer. And he realizes that it's also kind of a gag in the movie that at the time, a memoir was the popularity, uh, was the um, was a popular form of a book medium. If you're going to be an author and write a book, you should write a memoir, basically. And so that, he that, decides... I know even 10 years
0: ago when I was looking into publishing um, that... I would be just fascinated by the advice that uh, agents would give aspiring authors that mm-hmm. would say there's a there's a good amount of audience potentially for your memoir. Yeah. And, and I think about my boring life and people who I know who live <laughs> kind of average middle class lives. Yeah. As who would want to read your memoirs. Uh, and, and so I always think of that <laughs> as, as, a, as a funny uh, selling point you know how could you market that but obviously there is a market for 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 memoirs
1: right well and it's funny because there's a kind of a line that ben affleck has in the film where as a young boy um jr wrote something it could have been like just like a little paragraph short story whatever and his mother's reading it and his uncle ben affleck is reading it and he has this line where he says you know to be an author a successful artist you gotta have it and i don't know what it is but if you don't have it you'll never make it Mm-hmm. You got it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, yeah, right. And so I think that's probably what is behind a memoir. You know, it doesn't seem like it'd be anything interesting, but just for the entertainment of actually reading a good story about somebody's life, based on life experience, I'm sure that's what attracts readership. And so I guess that is probably what this author is famous for because I've never heard of him, J. R. Mm, it's an M name J-R-M he's
0: so I did some research Mm -hmm. on the guy ahead of time Uh, so he's not an author except for the memoir he's a screenwriter and he has written or at least been involved with a number of movies some that you're you've definitely heard of oh Uh, The Kingdom of Heaven with Orlando Bloom okay The Departed with um, Leonardo DiCaprio Matt Damon uh, Jack Nicholson Oblivion with Tom Cruise oh um, so he's still writing movies today yes exactly No and um, and the part is probably the one that people would look at as the most critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oblivion I was certainly interested in, um, but I, I never ended up seeing it. It's a sci fi right. yeah, adventure, yeah. Uh-huh. and uh, so he certainly had some success. Okay. Now there's a little bit of I mean, maybe you maybe you got the sense of, uh, of this in the movie, but whenever I see uh, filmmaker, because you know I've done some some filmmaker things, and I've hung around with a lot of filmmakers. Yeah, uh, in, independent filmmakers. Also. So people, people don't think I'm, I'm connected with celebrities, <laughs> but they, whenever I see a movie that's made by filmmakers about making a film, mm-hmm. is it's it's very self aware to the point of mm. to anyone else looking at it, they would go, this seems like it's just self important.
1: Uh, and so i wonder
0: if because i know this guy wrote the screenplay for this movie oh did he Uh, so right he wrote the memoir adapted into screenplay did you get the sense that this is just marketing this screenwriter in terms of hey this is important you know screen you know (laughs) writing and screenwriting is is important because i'm aspiring to do it and this is my story of adversity or or did you sense that, that that there was actually a story to tell beyond this person's own
1: experience that's interesting that that would be an interesting lens to re-watch the film in i think i didn't get that sense on my first viewing but i'm trying to think about it and think if there was any times where i could have seen that and to be honest i don't i don't think so okay. it, it, it seemed like there was some genuine stories about struggling with the with self-identity mm-hmm. uh as he grew up into into being an author and there is a particular love of books that is in the film that I think was kind of cool the way that it portrayed that him falling in love with books and reading them on his way to being an author and how his uncle encourages that. Uh, and the tender bar is actually called in the film. It's the, um, the Dickens bar. Oh, Okay. Okay. So like it was a bar that was filled with Dickens books basically. Mm-hmm. And so, which is kind of a cool idea, you know um, I'm a bit of a book lover um, and I, you know, they're being an aesthetic, you know, they're being profound little pages of wisdom, you know. It, books are books are pretty cool. And so it, the, the movie kind of, you can definitely get that from the movie. It doesn't like talk about it a ton, it's just there, you know. And so th- that was a cool aspect of the film. And so it's that kind of heart that kind of makes me think no, it, it, it didn't really seem like the movie was being completely self aware. I could definitely see, and it or, makes or, sense. Or even just like self. Self phrasing yeah, yeah. I, I don't think so. Self aggrandizing, I guess, would be be another term for it. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I don't think so. I don't think so. It, okay, it, all right, it all right, seemed super. like it detailed his struggle well enough, where it didn't seem like he was like the hero of the story. You know, he it was him dealing with his personal struggles. You know, sure. all the way through the film, sure. and in the end, it's not like they're completely resolved. It's just that he's taken that step into manhood, and he decides to go off by himself mm-hmm. and to become an author and so that decision is like the client the end of the film right and so it doesn't completely resolve his character as a whole it just kind of ushers him into that stage because it's a coming of age story right Mm -hmm. Right. so the end of the story is him deciding what he he wants to do with his life Mm -hmm. and how he got there and so so he did not always so what decisions
0: does he make at the end of the the film that was different than what he you know his dreams
1: as a child Well, his dream of a child was to be kind of like an author, and he was always thinking of that. He really wanted to make his mother happy as the woman who cared for him his entire life, and she really wanted him to go to Yale. Mm -hmm. And so he made it into Yale. He went to Yale, but he he went to Yale to be an author, which is a little bit weird. And usually most people who go to Yale go into law. Right, right. Right. And so that's kind of what his mom wanted was for him to be a lawyer. But a lot of other characters in the story were pointing out, well, she just wants you to be happy and – be successful and in in the house that they live in which is his mother his grandfather's house they all live in his grandfather's house it's filled with a bunch of losers who didn't really make it in life okay and including his mother because after his father left them they were kind of on their own and so she had to move back in with her father right okay and you saw his mother struggle with that at the beginning of the movie where she's very upset that she has to go back to her father's house it's failure for his mother he loved it as a child because there was always family and they right. could have dinners together. But for he pointed out that for his mom it wasn't so good because it meant failure. Right. Right. And so he he kind of struggles with that a little bit. Where he he makes these jokes with his mom that he his goal in life is actually to live as his grandfather's house also so that he can be a writer. He wants to after okay. getting out of Yale he wants to go live with his grandfather and write a novel. Okay. And so it, it's kind of conflicted with the with the fact that. He also really he falls in love at Yale with this girl, and this girl doesn't treat him very well because she she keeps telling him that she is in love with this other guy. She's I'm I'm seeing somebody else, and he kind of keeps going back to her, and she keeps telling him the same thing. Oh, I'm with somebody else, and so after they get out of Yale, he isn't really doing very much with his life, and they go and have lunch together, and she's like, so so what are you doing? And he's like, oh I'm, I'm working on a novel, and she's like. Oh well, how much of it has you have you written? He goes, a lot. <laughs> and and he, he was talking to his, with his friend about it later, and, and he and his friend pointed out, well, she or it might have been his uncle, she's trying to figure out what you're doing. D- do you have your life together? Because mm-hmm. if you don't, she's not going to go be with you, right? right? She wants someone who actually has his life together, right. and so. He, he's like, okay, well, fine, I'm, g- I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to go right for the New York Times. He gets his job at the Times. He really likes it, very excited about it. Everyone's super excited for him, and and he, he doesn't really like it that much. Like, it's great, but he ends up he, – he's going for promotion to be a reporter, and I forget the reasoning for him well, not- Now,
0: you know, just as an aside, what are you being being promoted – to a reporter from? Like a, a columnist, kind
1: of. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so he, he did like, some really good like work. writing the obits or something like that? Something or, like yeah. that. It, it, it wasn't extremely expounded upon, but he, he got like a little bit in the newspaper, and then he's supposed to upgrade to be some being somebody who always gets bits in the newspaper. You know, he has a designated spot, and then I guess an upgrade from that is being an actual reporter. And they really, really like his work as a writer doing these bits. And so he interviews to get a, a position as a, a reporter, which I guess would have made more money, more procedures, whatever. And he doesn't get it. I forget the reasoning why. Like he was too good or something. I don't know. Okay. And he, him coming out of that, getting turned down, he's actually kind of happy about it. That he kind of quit the times. Mm-hmm. And he's just struggling with what he wants to do. And this girl that he loves, she ends up marrying somebody else. Lame, and and so he really, and so he gets a serious. He's kind of in a crisis. Like I'm out of Yale, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really like my newspaper gig. What am I doing? I wanted to be an author, and he has this moment where he talks to his younger self, and his younger self is kind of reprimanding him, like, "We wanted to be an author. What what are you doing, man?" And he's Mm -hmm. kind of falling Mm -hmm. into drinking, and which, which his father, which his father, right, exactly. And so he has this moment where with his uncle where he's like do you see a lot of my father in me and his uncle says you gotta stop drinking so much (laughs) right dead honest so and so he he decides to go resolve that with his father and so he goes and kind of has that closure in his life where he hasn't he sees his father as being this deadbeat guy still living with another woman not doing super hot even though he's said he's been trying to clean himself up and Mm -hmm. so he he resolves to move out of his uncle's house and go to Manhattan, live with his friend, and to write his novel and be a writer, and that is the end of the movie. Okay. So, there's a lot of avenues to be explored about personal struggle, self identity, and, and and resolving that point in your life when you're kind of just floating around and not being sure what you want to do in life. So, what are the drawbacks to this movie? Uh, the drawbacks. Well, I've already touched on it, but it's the profanity. Um, there's just a, a heck ton of it, and so if you're trying to find a family-friendly movie, just don't go. To, don't go to this one. It's not. It's not really there. Um, other than that, like it wasn't super exciting. There wasn't a ton of wow, you know, that's anything that gets your blood boiling. So if you like action, you know, if you're a fan of a ton of comedy, the, the comedy is more sly. It's kind of just in the way the, the actors are delivering their lines, some of the quirky things that happen. There's not a lot. It, I wouldn't define it as a comedy. It's a drama. It's a coming of age story. You kind of have to have that taste in movies. It, it you know, it, it's not gonna. It's not a crowd pleaser at all. Now, would
0: you say that this movie has that it factor?
1: For being a great film,
0: is this, is this something you're going to re- revisit or rave about or recommend in five years?
1: In five years, that's a good question. I, I guess the fact that I'm thinking about it would indicate no, but I think it's there. I think it's worth watching while it's hot, while people might be watching it and talking about it. I think it's worth watching for, especially for an adult, for a mature coming of age adult. I think there's things to be morals of the story to be had there where just watching somebody else, else, else experience life and, and see what decisions they made that might give you a little bit of motivation to, you know what? I need to find my thing that I'm doing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Super. All right. Um, moving on, Nathaniel, you watched a documentary, right? I did.
0: So, uh, last week, sat down with a uh, wife and a couple friends and we watched uh, Jesus music and a, a little bit uh, of my back. into um, mm-hmm. so you know, my parents, I remember at their house, a lot of Michael Libby Smith, a lot of Amy Grant, a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, there was some Keith Green, Mm. in there, what you know so there's a lot of music from sometimes the 70s, 80s and 90s some of that, that christian music okay. there that, that they grew up listening to and then for me I listened to a lot of christian music in the late 2000s mid, mid to the late 2000s and into mm. the you know 2010s as well and I even started was a was a staff reviewer for uh, and which covered a lot of christian music content Okay, and, and we're pretty much like the premier website for covering Christian really? uh, music content. Yeah, I yeah, actually never knew out. that about you. That's <coughs> yeah, it's cool. a it's a it's a little known secret. Okay, well now it's a big known secret. <laughs> but, um, so wait, when, wait, when was this? Well, before you move on yeah, there, time out. <laughs> so this was probably from about 2009 to 2014 is when I was doing the bulk of my writing. Okay, uh, for them.
1: So how old were you then?
0: Uh, so that was I was probably nine. 19- uh, maybe nineteen, 19? ended twenty four. Okay. You know, that was the okay. the age range when I did that. So cool. definitely when I was less mature, but I thought I had good ideas. Um, and some of them, some of them were not that great, but some of them
1: were, were okay. So yeah. how how uh, how did you review? How did you rate as a reviewer on, online?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I certainly got more. I mean, I got some positive feedback, but y- you get more way more negative feedback. <laughs> right, right, because people people write in when you when you uh, I just do something agreed. negative. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the newsboys are the best. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. Okay. Um, so I I was able to interview uh, some 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 bands and Michael Libby Smith. Uh, I, I nice. went got to go to a couple shows as a uh, as um, as media. So it, it it was cool to do that. Um, having I kind of had wrote, written some reviews for a couple years before that. Okay. Just kind of. Um, Here's reviews and reviews on another website. And then I asked the editor and and he gave me a shot. And so, so that was kind of my getting my taste of that. And so I have a little bit of, um, an appreciation for Christian music. And so when this documentary came out, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like the history of the, uh, of the Christian, the contemporary Christian music uh, movement, starting from the, the Jesus movement, which Mm -hmm. was the late, late Mm sixties. And and so, so this is what this documentary is about. It's about, uh, the Irwin brothers who directed, uh, I Can Only Imagine, I Still Believe, which are,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I Still Believe is about Jeremy Camp. Right. I Can Only Imagine is about Mercy Me. And the Irwins started making Christian music videos.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's how they got their start. So as they started making some movies, you know, Mom's Night Out, October Baby, Woodlawn, that's, their their thing was Christian music videos. That's how they got their start. So, did, so. Obviously, they have a passion for that, and that's why I think they they, they did this documentary. Right? They they live in Nashville, so mm-hmm. they have these connections to everybody who's who's in those circles. Sure. So they they make this documentary that starts, and and it really does start off with uh, with uh, Woodstock, right? The Woodstock Music Festival in New York, and then right it goes kind of out east. Because of some of this, I di- I didn't know the the Freak Free Concert. So like the Rolling Stones played there, okay. and so this was. And what they're trying to say is there was an evolution of, of what was going on in Woodstock, the, you know, the free love, uh, a, you know, anti-war, rebellious, oh, hippie culture. Okay. That, in the, the flower children, you know, peace and, and everything, peace and love, everything that was coming out with that. Sure. But then, then they talked about this this thing, this concert that happened with the Rolling Stones. Things turned violent. Three people died during a concert. And it was sort of like the the, the dark side of the of the flower children. Right. So there's this church, Calvary Chapel. Okay. In, in in California, mm-hmm. where they started welcoming all these hippies in to to go to church, and so there's this huge movement of people of, of hippies who get saved,
1: wow. and
0: it's the Jesus movement that lasts for a decade and a half, where there really is kind of this revival among young people, and like the church is kind of accepting of you know you know what hippies look like right long hair yeah. <laughs> uh, you know fa- facial hair and and. The, the, the church of the time, whether it's a Lutheran church or a Baptist church, you couldn't get into to a church without wearing a you know suit and tie and and, and shoes. Where mm-hmm. these where these kids were just walking in with bare feet and and you know clothes. Anyway, that that, that
1: were were you know, who knows so, tie dye shirts and the, and and the, and the like. Sure. Okay. So 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 it's the hippies infecting Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, right. And, and so
0: w- what then happened is you have these hippies who write. Are probably coming out of like you know LSD and and they're, they're into their music and things like that and uh-huh. then they get saved and they said okay well we wanted to keep doing the same music except do the the Christian and uh, put Christian lyrics
1: on there because we're we're saved. So is this documentary is that is it saying that modern contemporary Christian music is kind of born out of that hippie movement? Yes, exactly. Really, and so does it does it paint that in a positive or negative light? So that that's a good question.
0: Now, obviously, the Irwins are, are really into the. The modern music scene, so they yeah. were definitely their perspective. They're coming out as a major positive, right? That's but, what makes
1: that's what makes their money. Well, sure, pays the bills, and <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. But 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 there were a lot of people, and they talk about this in the documentary, who were dead set opposed to you know rock and roll, Christian rock and roll, and, and, and still all these are different today, kind of you're yeah, right, right, exactly to so a degree, right, mm-hmm. uh, definitely less now or than it was then. But mm-hmm. they talk about one band, uh, Striper, who was a. Uh, I think their last name uh, is Sweet. It's the Sweet Brothers, I think. So they they got saved watching a televangelist and they started doing, Mm. but they they loved rock and roll, you know, Van Helen and all that sort of (laughs) thing. And they started doing some really hardcore rock music. Yeah, um, and at the same time, right? They're 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 dressing up like Queen and and like Kiss and that sort of thing. So, right, that, that's their look. And but they're throwing Bibles at people's foreheads in their concert. Right, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Super crazy. Right, right. They're they're singing but, for Jesus. Uh, interesting. And at it gets to the point though where that same televangelist is um t- saying that they're devil music, interesting. which is which is. A kind of a crazy thing to think about that the guy who led you to Christ is now saying that you know you're right. you're, you're leading people you're leading people astray um, with your, with your music. Uh-huh. So th- that that was actually a turning point for that band where they got pretty hedonistic after that for a period, and then and, and they kind of came back you know around. But mm-hmm. right, right. So so the the church's reaction definitely had an impact on some of these oh, some of these yeah. um, uh-huh. artists
1: for sure.
0: um, in the. 70s, 80s, and and, uh, and early 90s maybe, but but definitely when, he, when it, the documentary right goes goes through time. So in the late 80s, early 90s, that's when we get to introduce to Amy Grant, mm-hmm. who is sensational in, in the Christian arena, and uh, right pulls along Michael Lubby Smith. You know he's he's huge now too. But Amy Grant goes um, goes mainstream with uh, with her album uh, Heart and Motion. Baby, baby becomes this huge. Um, Pop song hit mm-hmm. where it's even nominated for Best Grammy Song of the Year, not, mm-hmm. not just not just like Best Gospel Song, but but Best Pop Song.
1: Sure.
0: So you know have a you have a great deal of success there. And so they they, they talk about one of the interesting things is they mention how uh, Billy Graham was kind of doing some of these crusades, and he welcomed in guys like Johnny Cash and Larry Larry Norman, who was um, definitely was seen as an outcast because he was, because he was, he was into rock too. And, uh-huh. and like a, uh, he looked like he was a hippie uh, <laughs> and many people, many Christians thought he was not no, no good, no good Larry Norman. Yeah. Um, and so he was kind of a, a maverick, but, but Billy Graham had him playing at, you know, his crusades, mm-hmm. which is, which is interesting. In fact, even when DC talk came later and DC talk had Michael Tates and Toby Mac and Kevin Max, mm-hmm. those were the three founding members of, of, Uh, DC Talk, right? Yeah, they um, they're they're playing for Billy Graham's Crusades in the '90s, and you have this. So while many uh, rigid evangelical leaders are decrying some of the Christian pop rock music, you know Billy Graham's out there saying, you know what, these guys are are believers. These guys are reaching an audience that I could never reach, and we even see this today with people like Lecrae or Skillet. And this Mm -hmm. kind of goes to what you're saying: is that they're even Uh, evangelical leaders today in the church that say toby mack poo poo lecrae poo poo (laughs) skillet double poo poo you know know, that's you know if you're christians don't play music like that christians don't listen to music like that you know look at their look at their lyrics look at how they dress do they do they look like christians to you Mm -hmm. but on the flip side is really john cooper of skillet and lecrae those guys are reaching audiences that john piper john MacArthur never gonna reach for the gospel Mm -hmm. and so i would be very careful about
1: being a naysayer right about about their ministry just Mm -hmm. because they don't look like we want them to look like right well i mean even more than that what comes to mind is kanye west oh yeah right because he's a self-proclaimed recently or recently uh self-proclaimed believer right and oh, he, he had, came out with the album, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is King. Yes, and since then he released Ye, right?
0: I Maybe believe. so. Yeah.
1: Ye, which is not as much of a Christmas, Christian album, it's still a rap album, but it still seems like it has elements of kind of a gospely type of album. Yeah, yeah. So and he talks about that a lot inside of Jesus is King is his experience of kind of being someone an outcast believer. Yeah. Where a lot of believers were like uh, this guy who has not lived his entire life as a believer, who is like the exact opposite of what we would consider a believer to be is now coming out and saying, I'm a believer. And, you know, and then the whole thing with he, you know, had to divorce his wife. And so there's a lot of skepticism placed on him by the Christian community. And there's, there's been a healthy amount of skepticism that's been placed on Kanye. and, And, and yet it seems like, and I'm not so sure because obviously I don't know Kanye, and so I I can't really pass judgment on him. But you see him step up as being start like charge starting these these Sunday morning choirs that are it's like a traveling church mm-hmm. that attracts crowds, and he's kind of a leader there, which is kind of interesting because you know you see a kind of a new believer stepping up as being a leader in a spiritual role, which right. I have heard is not always the best for a new believer to to be in that kind of a situation yeah i mean even the apostle paul warns against you know
0: laying hands and anointing (laughs) a a new believer uh, out of the gate for that very
1: reason right but i mean by all appearances it also seems like kanye had an upbringing in the christian church you know so it's not it's nothing new for him so you know how much do we really know i i don't know but i think in, in jesus king is such a great album i i it's the song "Hands On," I think that kind of strikes me the most when it comes down to this topic, and it, it's a message to believers, I think, primarily, where he's just kind of saying, "Look, I know I've done bad things, but don't throw me out. I'm, I'm trying to be one of you now, you know, and I'm trying to love Jesus in the best way that I can." Yeah, and So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, anyways, that's a bit of a rabbit hole, but I, yeah, I think well, it kind of fits in the situation. Yeah, definitely
0: because I, definitely as being a writer of mm-hmm. uh, uh, and kind of watching how some of these artists' lives have unfolded. Mm-hmm. And also list, looking at this documentary, which is very pro-artist, mm-hmm. right? And it talks about Amy Grant, and Amy Grant, right, divorced her husband. This other dude divorces his wife, and then they get married, mm-hmm. like, within, within a year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and who knows what was going on there? I, I don't know. But And, right, you know, divorce is not very, for good reason, not, not very popular in the, in the Christian circles. That's right, because God yeah. says, yeah, I'm not so keen on that. Um, and... But it made me um, think of them – it made me have a little more grace for immigrant Grant after watching kind of her journey. Mm-hmm. And because, right, we can hit people over the head for making mistakes all the time or questions. Right. But that's not – I mean, right, if we, if we think about the grace and mercy that's shown to every one of us. And, right, Kanye is no different than, than you or me. Right? We, we yeah. all deserve mm-hmm. um, judgment. Yeah. And, and you know, Jesus offers grace and mercy and love right. and redemption for, for all those who, who come to him. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Right. Um, I mean, if, if
1: Jesus can save Kanye, yeah, he can exactly. save anybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: And so we, we look at some of these guys who are on stage singing music for Jesus. And it just reinforced to me that these guys are artists, mm-hmm. they're music artists, they're not pastors. Yeah. And I'm not sure, I'm not, not saying that they shouldn't be spiritually wise or something, but mm-hmm. to, to get to the level they are, they have to be
1: good. Like,
0: they have to have that it factor.
1: Um, at music, is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. At music,
0: at their voice, their, whatever it is. right? right. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. The, the, the people on the radio, who you hear on the radio, are not bad, yeah. right? They're they're very good. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe, them, maybe they're well-produced. Maybe they came out at the right time. Maybe they're well-marketed. But they still have the it factor. And if you stay around, you've got to have some sort of talent that elevates you and spiritual prowess. You may not have the spiritual gift of teaching, (laughs) right? Right. In addition to to that gift. And so it just reminded me that, right. These are just people. They're not, they're not necessarily, you know, heavenly prophets. Mm -hmm. And we, we we should uh, maybe not hold them to the standard that we hold John MacArthur or John Piper. Right. Uh,
1: and, And yeah, I think that's a good case to be made for musical artists. Uh, especially the ones that are producing the mainstream of christian music now um I- i'm interested does does the documentary go into the opposite argument that I've heard against contemporary christian music that says it- it's watered down and, and and the content that we get from old-fashioned hymns is not reflected in contemporary music and because of that it- it's part of this part of this machine to keep uh Christian shallow and uh well that that's the thing, yeah. It Christianity has become kind of shallow and, and you and you kind of see it in some of the mainstream churches, right? That are now accepting of of you know homosexual marriage. It's now um you see it become more lenient on sin in general across the board. Yeah, well you, you it, definitely it, see, you know, huge huge influence
0: to feminism and postmodernism and hedonism in some ways. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the, the church is going
1: woke. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere we look and 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 so I think a lot of people kind of see contemporary music as kind of being part of that because of the watered down of the message inside of some of the contemporary music. And, and so I, I don't know, does the documentary go into that at all or, or, or does yeah. it?
0: So this, the documentary, you can look at this as a good, a good thing or, or just a focused thing. Mm-hmm. Is I think the, the Irwins are very focused on, on the artists and, okay. and the history of it. They're not, they're not trying to make an argument to strengthen or oppose whether or not this is good or not. they are just take a very positive view towards these artists. There's Mm -hmm. never a contrary view. They don't bring on some of these pastors who I know have spoken out against the shallowness or against the personal lives of these believers. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a blind spot, but you can understand that if they went into that in the documentary, it would sort of take a, take the focus off what they're trying to achieve, which is kind of a celebration of the history Mm -hmm. of the Christian music through its good times and the bad times. So that's really not a part of the documentary. I mm-hmm. kind of wish it would. There's a lot of areas that I wish, oh, I wish I knew more more about this, so that, that they don't really get into that.
1: Well, I, I wouldn't blame them for not wanting to touch that topic. You know, that's, that's a very deep-rooted and— Oh, if, yeah, if you want could... to divide people <laughs> right away, go, go into that. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's also just a deep topic in general, right? Yeah. It, it goes into, like, almost every aspect of Christianity nowadays, right? Yeah. And, and so that is a— that could fill up a whole docu-series you right. know, of, yes. of topics and research. Yeah. So I, I'm not surprised they didn't go into that. So Now, one thing that they didn't go into, <laughs> that they didn't touch on, was racism. Wait, 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 are you saying that Christian contemporary music has roots in racism? Okay, so let me, let me explain. <laughs> so they talk
0: to three prominent black men in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they talk to other people, too, but these are the, the three guys – uh, Kirk they... Franklin, okay, yep. uh, Michael Tate, who's obviously leads mm-hmm. under the center of the Newsboys as part of DC Talk, mm-hmm. and Lecrae. So okay. uh, those are the guys they talk about, especially in this segment here. Um, uh, and uh, CC Wyness also has um, an element to the documentary as well, but she doesn't get as much uh, screen time because she's not as popular as those three gentlemen. Mm. Uh, and all of a sudden they... Michael Tate tells the story about when he's you know they're traveling as a band in rural America somewhere and mm-hmm. they try to get gas and someone makes some racial threat to him and it's like oh, wait what? And and, and then Kirk Franklin is talking about how there's this how racism is kind of in uh, Christian music somehow and and as someone I wouldn't call myself a journalist, but right I pay attention to the industry since since the late 2000s early 2010s right uh-huh. so, and it's such an odd thing because I don't I don't see that I've never seen that at all and where I see a lot of like black artists, they do a lot of the gospel stuff mm-hmm. and it just seems like there's different audiences right You see a lot of black artists, they do a lot of rap hip-hop and stuff like that and, and right. that's their niche and so maybe if they're not played on contemporary christian stations that's just not the market for yeah. for it right and there's also right there's there's radio stations everywhere and it depends on what your flavor is of, uh-huh. of of music and and most if you listen to k-love or air one there's a style that's in there and they don't play a lot of hip-hop or rap they don't play yeah. a lot of rock or alternative stuff yeah, so yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's, it's you know the christian pop and, and even christian music has a very particular sound that I don't always love, but yeah, it's yeah, out there. Ditto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. So, when they started talking about that, I just was 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 just a little confused because it almost got to this idea of unconscious racism, where they couldn't really put their finger on the pulse of of what they're getting at. Like, who's the who's the music? Industry executive who is keeping them down. Yeah, you know what who are, are you racist? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. And so they have this this clip of Kirk Franklin at the Dove Awards decrying racism and saying we need unity in the church, which which I totally agree with. Right, right. I'm not disagreeing with. Mm-hmm. But but like but what what are you talking about? Like show me the racism so I can fight you. Because if it's unconscious, I'm sorry, I, I can't I can't do anything about that. Uh, <laughs> wh- wh- like what do you want people to do? <laughs> And, um, and that was a little frustrating, especially since I've heard stories from Michael Tate before. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen a concert, and he tells a story that he has grown up, when he grew up in this black community, and they told him, Hey, look, Whitey, Whitey is out to get you. And he says that he had to move past that teaching as a kid mm-hmm. to realize— Whitey's not out to get you. Yeah, uh, that's 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 a that's a narrative, right? And there's so many narratives that that exist today to divide people, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder if making a big deal about racism in in Christian music is just a way to like draw attention to an issue that doesn't exist. And and I'm I'm certainly open to it if it is, but I've never seen that all the way going back to you know 2005, paying attention to Christian music onward.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you and I, Nathaniel, you know, we grew up. Here in rural Illinois, you know, <laughs> down there in Nashville, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe so. Uh, and I, I'm certainly not too. I don't want to
0: say that somebody's experience didn't exist. I just I don't understand where it's coming from. And the yeah. documentary was not specific either. And so that that's one of the the big drawbacks. When I saw that, I went, "What, what is? What What are you trying to say here?"
1: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, I, I, certainly racism has no part in christianity because of you know obviously we're all saved by jesus yes and and jesus is here for all of humanity and so it doesn't make sense why you any one believer would say oh yeah because of my color of my skin you know that doesn't make any so uh, it's interesting i it's i guess it's weird then that they wouldn't go a little bit more into it if that was any part of the discussion of this documentary that they wouldn't at least go into that a little bit more and say yeah here's where we were going with that you know Right, right. That, that, that there's music producers who favor promoting, you know, white-led artists versus black-led artists or certain churches that went one way or the other, you know. Um. And, and, it's, and it's funny because Lecrae is—I did some anecdotal evidence just looking at
0: Spotify and mm-hmm. how popular these Christian artists were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Skillet gets about like six million monthly plays yeah. on Spotify, okay lauren daigle gets like five million lecrae is like four million lecrae has got white kids jamming to his music <laughs> j- just as much as, as black kids like oh, i know yeah. people who, who love lecrae yeah. and so uh, i i just i don't see how how skin color applies to that just just you know it's a it seems like it's a, a lot of it's a genre thing almost mm.
1: so mm. i i don't know okay interesting well final thoughts nathaniel any uh anything else that you you saw in the documentary do you recommend yeah
0: yeah i i think it's really well produced it's really well done and i found it really interesting and so if you are you know have followed christian music for an extended period of time mm-hmm. you're probably going to get something out of it seeing some of its roots and seeing where how things ended up and seeing a little bit behind the curtain uh, but just realize that you're getting kind of a one-sided view i mean the, the documentary is produced by uh, Michael levy Smith and Amy Grant, so they're not gonna, <laughs> <laughs> there's some com- c- content that they're not gonna let you see. Uh, but I-, I think it's good, but
1: it has definitely a niche, niche a niche audience. Okay, sure. N- would the niche audience include any secular viewers? I I don't think
0: so, unless you're really tied into to the industry. So you- you'll definitely learn something if you watch it. Yeah. But I think th- so- some of the m- the most fun parts is seeing. Artists who I know or even artists that I don't know and learning a little bit more about them. Okay. You know, artists that that I'd heard of but didn't know much much about. Mm. And then seeing the, like I said, even the artists who I do know about, you know, just sitting down and and talking a little bit about their experiences. All right. Now, Mm. I am really excited to talk about this next movie. Uh, I have not seen it, but I know you have, Seth. Uh, that's Encanto, right. is that correct? Is that the right
1: pronunciation? That's for this? right. You should probably watch it by now, Nathaniel. It's so popular; everyone's seen it, and apparently, the soundtrack has really, really taken off. Okay, it's good. becoming very popular. And have you have you listened to the soundtrack separate from the movie? No, I have not. Okay, one <laughs> well, listen was enough for me. So, uh, so there's no like "Let It Go" that's stuck in your head and no. made you. No, but but I realize that it's popular when my wife starts talking about it, and then I really have to sit down and think. And just be like, wait, 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 slow down a second. It's suddenly popular because I saw Encanto when it when it first came out on Disney Plus. My wife had asked, Hey, you know, like this movie came out, I want to go see it. It's an animated and, film, right? That's right. Yeah, it's it's Disney's newest animated film. I believe the. The, the main character, Mirabelle, I believe she is the newest addition to the Disney princess slate. Okay. She is—I I thought it was Hispanic, but that's probably just the racist, racist in me coming out. She's actually Colombian. Nevertheless, um, when it, I was not impressed at all with the movie. I Now, you were talking about your wife. She watched it with you? Oh, oh that's right. I'm sorry, yes. Uh, So she watched it with me. It seemed like she had the same reaction as I did, that it wasn't that great. But weeks later, she's saying that—she's telling me that she got— the song's stuck in her head and i believe it's starting to get popular on the tiktok (laughs) 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 and i'm now seeing stories popping up in my feed about how they're suddenly breaking records and there's all time and it's popping up in my youtube feeds the 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 music videos or or the, the music and and i'm looking at how many views they're getting and they're getting you know Three, four, five million views, which shows its insane popularity. Is, is I, I guess it's growing.
0: Uh, yeah, because it was not successful at the box office. Uh, right. Well, was it? It was not. I mean, it was it was like the top animated film,
1: but this year that's not much, or at least twenty twenty one, not much to speak of. Okay, I, I guess we'll have to check it then. I because it made sense to me that it wouldn't be because, and we discussed this a little bit, Nathaniel. But the the movie it doesn't really have a, a villain. It, which is a little bit – which isn't always an issue. Like, Interstellar didn't have a villain, but – Which, Interstellar is terrible, so maybe that explains yeah, some things. Uh, um, Beg to differ, but anyways. <laughs> it, it doesn't have a villain, and so it's it's hard to tell what is going wrong in the film. There's something wrong with this magical house that they're living in, and – Okay, Mirabelle, all right, back up a minute. Mm-hmm. What is – now, I, I really appreciated your retelling – of the story.
0: Can you can you, can you, can you, jumped, you tell us the foundation I, yeah. <laughs> of, of what we're
1: talking about here? I jumped a couple I jumped a couple of details. So there is an old mother, the, the the grandmother of the film. It starts with her as a younger woman and she was married to this young man and they had triplets. And for whatever reason they were dislocated from their home and they were refugees running away. Yeah by these terrible men. We don't know who these terrible men are. and so uh, they're, they're called uh, white capitalists, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're being chased by the white capitalists. And they come to this river, and as they're crossing the river, the white capitalists are coming up upon them with swords cutting people down in their path. Oh, And, and so the husband tells his wife, you go ahead, I will stop them in the river somehow. I have no weapon, I have nothing, but I will stop them. And so he he goes he turns back into the river where they're coming and he gets viciously cut down which was pretty brutal as i was watching it it didn't it wasn't graphic at all but it was pretty close and i was like whoa okay okay and somehow his sacrifice grants this family a miracle in quotation marks they call it the miracle And it's this candle that they were carrying on their journey, and it suddenly becomes magic, and it blows the bad guys away. And right where they are, it shoots mountains up, shielding them from the awful, terrible outside world, and gives them this new home, this mansion that is pretty awesome, and it is totally alive, and gives this family superpowers. Um... So, so, so they're the
0: Colombian uh, Avengers, is basically what you said. Yeah, saying. The,
1: the Colombian Avengers. <laughs> and, but they don't go anywhere. They don't really do anything. They live in this very constrained society that reminded me a lot of. Um, oh, what's the, the Marvel uh, Black Panther? Um, Wakanda. Wakanda. It reminds me very much of a Colombian Wakanda, of this society that is not crazy advanced, but they have super people in this family only the family gets it right the main family so it's kind of like the 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 top of the crop family they're at the the upper upper epsilon like in the hierarchy of this town and Mm -hmm. the rest of the the rest of the people in this town they all depend on this upper families and their superpowers to give them to sustain their economy right like the strong sister she moves their cows from field to field by picking them up and throwing them yeah i know do do their cows walk in this world or (laughs) i I guess not okay um, she puts bridges down, she carries them okay, and moves right. them relocates them conveniently okay. for, for all the people and cool. There's the one sister and her superpower is being very graceful. I don't know how that's a superpower, but it is and so she can make flowers grow at will and there's another girl and her superpower is is super hearing. She can hear pretty much anything anywhere. And uh, there's another one, another superpower. The the main character's mother, her meal can heal pretty much anything. Her meal? Meal. So she'll give you a piece of bread, and it heals anything. So her father gets stung by a bee, and, and his 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 facial, his face and his hands are all puffy, and she he eats like one piece of bread, and so the, and he's all better. Okay, okay. <laughs> so so and. and... And so it, it's never, ever touched upon or explained where any of this comes from, why it's there, how any of it works. But it's all centrally located in this candle, which is always burning. And if the candle goes out, then the magic is gone, which is what is insinuated. Oh,
0: okay. So, okay.
1: But the magical candle doesn't go out. The wind doesn't blow it out. Water doesn't, I, I guess they, they obviously didn't try to extinguish it. So this
0: candle doesn't go out, but if it goes out
1: lose the powers kind of right and so when mirabelle starts having dreams that the candle goes out it freaks everybody out and there seems to be an issue in the family and this issue is prompting the house to start to crack and fall apart and when the house cracks oh oh, okay And, and another important thing the family member is not born with superpowers when they reach a certain age they have a ceremony where they Go and open a door, and when they open the door, their power is revealed to them by their door. And inside of their door is their room, and the room has something to do with their superpower. Okay, and so what we see in the film is Mirabelle didn't get one; she has no superpower. She
0: has her super bar mitzvah, but she doesn't get anything in her room.
1: Right. The and and later in the film, it's kind of expounded upon that as she opens the door. The magic faded away, and she had no superpower. Okay. And everyone was shocked. (gasps) No superpower. What? (laughs) (laughs) And so Mirabelle is very self-conscious about this. She had to stay in the nursery where she grew up as a baby because she had no room. The door faded away for her. So okay. she has no her. She doesn't have her own bedroom. Okay. So she stays with the
0: babies in the uh, movie. Right,
1: and so she grew up with this young child, and this young child, uh, he has his bar mitzvah for his superpower, and as he's opening his door, a toucan comes and lands on his on his shoulder, and he says, "Oh, I can understand you." And so his superpower is being able to communicate with animals. So does he get to go in his room? Yes. So okay. he goes into his room, and it's this jungle wonderland where there's tigers and elephants and bears, and they're all friends. And it's this utopia of being able to commune with animals. A and zootopia. I understand A zootopia. <laughs> exactly. Shakira was not present. <laughs> and... This, it's just wearing me out having to tell all of this. Okay, so, it's still not going anywhere.
0: <laughs> so, so so, what's the point of this movie? What, what,
1: What is the it factor or the not factor? So Mirabelle has having serious identity crisis because she didn't get a superpower. And she doesn't understand why. And she starts having dreams that the magic is fading and it's going away and that she might be the cause of it. As she is on this quest to figure out what is wrong with the magic, and obviously she wants to prevent it, she has no hard feelings against the magic. She's best friends with the house, and she doesn't get along so well with her siblings, all right? And it seems like she's never gotten along very well with her siblings. But for some reason, the house starts to crack, and only she can see it crack. So everyone thinks it's her fault. But when everyone blames her, and she knows it's not her, she keeps trying, and the house starts to crack even more. And so it's like this... This self-defeating problem of, of, of why is the house cracking? Is it Mirabelle? Why would it be Mirabelle? Why isn't she friends with her family? They've never been friends together. Why? What is going on? Okay, now the weird thing about this is that the house number gets fixed. It breaks down, right? No, no, no. Okay, so that's, that's at the end. It does break down eventually. And what prompts the breaking down... Somehow, some way, she figures out in order for it not to break, I need to hug your hugging my sister that I desk that I hate and I've hated for so long because she's so graceful. It will make the power stronger and it will fix our house. And so they have this really awful song together where her sister finds out that she can make things that are not perfect, she can make a cactus instead of a flower. And for some reason, then they have this crazy sister bonding moment where they become best friends again, and they hug, and that makes the magic stronger. Okay. And the house is being strengthened. But in the process of them getting closer together, there's a bit of a chaotic breakout where they're, like, throwing paint at each other, and they're having fun. And the grandmother sees this as chaos that is hurting our family, and this chaos is what is breaking the house down and ruining the magic. And so they have this—they get into this fierce— Conflict between the granddaughter Mirabelle and her grandmother, where her grandmother is so scared of losing the magic that has kept their family and protected their family for so long. And Mirabelle is like, But I'm trying to love my sister, or something like that. And then the house just boom, it's gone. It's like crack destroyed. And it's like, Oh, okay. So, um,
0: people obviously way smarter than me they they, they 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 do research projects into like families and marriages okay and they say that the, the marriage that does not have any conflict mm-hmm. fades away because there's no uh, interaction no stimulation no okay. no no ideas right uh-huh. and, and the marriage that has some conflict it means that people are are passionate um uh, and right. obviously the, the marriage that has it, lots of conflict that's the one that's <laughs> Go, going, going bye-bye um, so so you so is it what he's trying to say is that you know you need to have a little bit of conflict because right the the the, the mom sees conflict and she goes that's destroying things so the solution is no conflict and then obviously wow. oh, i guess
1: what, what what is the metaphor here what, what are we supposed to what is it what are we supposed to get out of this I think the metaphor is supposed to be like a family, like love your family kind of a type of thing, type of, type of a message. Which is a good message. Yeah. Love yeah. your family. That's great. I'm just, I'm not sure what it has to do with anything in the movie. Like the house is broken. That's that's the, the clear metaphor in the movie is the house breaking. That's their home and it's broken because of this conflict. So I guess it, the, the conflict was to the point that it would have been, you know, where the wife takes her ring off and throws it at the at the husband, right? That's the conflict that really breaks everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, there's so, no, but there's no underlying conflict that starts the house breaking down, right? Right. That's oh, the problem. Okay. Right? Like, the conflict that is there of her not getting along with her sister very much, it, it, it's kind of hinted at that that has been their entire life. That mm-hmm. her sister has always been perfect, and she was the one that didn't get a power. And so... It's just not clear what's going on. And then there's... So, so let me, let, me, let me interrupt you for
0: a minute. So, their bad relationship basically brings doom on everybody else and the people who rely on them. Right. Okay, got it. But, I, just, I just wanted to
1: clarify that. <laughs> but that doom was kind of brought about by the house breaking down. Kind of a chicken and egg situation where we weren't... I wasn't really sure what started which first, right? It... it, it and so that's kind of the problem with the film. Like, I don't. It was just confusing for me to be like, well, what is kind of going on? What are they trying to work against? Like, mm-hmm. are they trying to come together more? I guess that's kind of the purpose of the film is just to com- come together more. So, so they come together in the end and they rebuild the house, but by hand. There was no magic that helped them. And then they all decided, you know what, Mirabelle, we're gonna let you open the door to our new home. And so as she opens the door, the magic is given back to the house. As she opens the door. So it's kind of like an opposite. As she was trying to open her door, the magic faded away, but the magic returned when she opened the door, right? So it's kind of a, hey, you know, remember remember that? (laughs) 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 And so then everything was good again. It was a utopia again. So I didn't understand how it was any different from the beginning. So would You you say that the first time it was just given to them? And it's basically, can
0: you store the thing that's given to you? And sometimes, right, people don't handle what's just like, trust them, trust them babies, mm-hmm. right? They they don't have any, they didn't earn it, so right. they blow it. But now that they've built it by hand, they appreciate it because they, they know how hard it was to keep this together. Yeah. Would you say that that's maybe getting at it a little bit more in maybe the worst possible way?
1: Yeah, maybe so.
0: Okay. So, you, so you do just... you agree
1: now that you're wrong about it? <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not a good film. So, and, and, and so anyways, that's, that's kind of the thing also is like it, it's musical and and the music is sub, really subpar I, I the most popular song is we don't talk about Bruno which is it okay if I play you a snippet um I
0: don't know if you've yeah. heard it I uh, know no we might
1: just, have to just cut this part out yeah. I don't know how rights work yeah
0: maybe not I'll go let's just play
1: it'll yeah. I'll, I'll play it for you Nathaniel yeah. and if we have to cut it out we'll end up we'll end up yeah. cutting it out and so this is another part of the song that I actually didn't even discuss is that there's this guy named Bruno and he was one of the children with a superpower, and his superpower was he was uh, he could see into the future. And so they're kind of singing about—we don't really get to see him in the beginning of the film. We don't really know him. We find, about him, find out about him after the fact that he's this missing child. He went missing. Okay. And no, no one really knows why he went missing. Okay. And it's kind of revealed in this song that it's because whenever he was prophesying, things just went poorly. He prophesied that it was going to rain on his sister's wedding day, and it did. And so it was because obviously it was obviously because of Brito that it rained, right? <laughs> because he yeah. profe- because yeah. he prophesied it. Yeah. And so it's kind of revealed later in the film that he didn't actually leave the house. He was just kind of living in the walls, and it's because he thought, you know, I'm I'm hurting my family by being here by all the prophesying that I'm doing. So I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna be a recluse. I'm gonna live in the walls live by myself. But he still loves his family a lot. And so I guess that's that's also kind of part of the film is that. This idea that we need to protect our our magic and and get rid of anything that's wrong and so we're going to push away family members because of that is kind of hinted at. I guess that could be kind of the moral of the story is that we're so focused on keeping this magic intact that we're going to push our family members away. And that's, in fact, what is ruining the magic. Right, right, right. So that's kind of a moral of the story that's out there. So anyways, we don't talk about Bruno. Okay. See, and that's and that's the girl who can hear because she's talking about her being able to hear him. um so anyways so there's a bit of the song okay I don't know. all right um and that's the most popular one that there is the, the rest of them are uh, that's that's okay all well, right i mean what, what did you think did you like that song i uh, <laughs> i yeah maybe it just had to be there i don't know <laughs> um Mm. It, it, nathaniel i don't understand why this movie is so popular i truly don't
0: so so you recommend it don't recommend it i don't uh, recommend it no. i, I oh, really okay. don't it's right. the
1: story is confusing i don't understand it it has a nice message we should be together and we should love our family members you shouldn't anyways you don't need a, a disney movie to yeah exactly that. <laughs> right 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 i appreciate the effort but i truly i don't understand why people like it so much and i keep seeing like youtube videos is Encanto the best film of 2021? Well, no. No way. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an easy one. <laughs> yeah, no. no. And, and so I don't know. That that that's my thoughts on Encanto. I I, I just thought it, it did, I didn't understand what they were trying to get at so much. And and maybe it's just a, a family-centered story, but I just felt like this the, the plot of the story and and everything that they used it just it didn't really work. It doesn't work of a musical. Didn't like any of the music. and and i guess i'll leave it there all right okay so that has been our conversation about these two movies
0: and one documentary yeah that's right now um i have to say i am not going uh, i'm not convinced to go see Encanto, or 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 maybe maybe i'm more
1: curious than i was before but um (laughs) yeah any, any final any final thoughts seth well, uh, have I? Would you like? To, are, are you going to be going to see the Tender Bar other than Encanto? Oh boy! Or, uh, I, I don't know. know I it you sounds you, you can sit down and watch it. You don't yeah, have to go anywhere. You yeah, can sit anywhere that's anywhere. true.
0: I I, um, I don't know. Some of these movies, like I said, that are that are um, autobiographical, yeah, uh-huh. uh, do seem a little bit self-important, and um, so I'm I'm curious, but um, it's not one that I'm like. Oh yeah, I have to run out and see this um, right away. So no. we'll 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 see the next time I get Prime no, if I'll sit down and, and, and watch it. Um, but S- I, I, certainly not a must see. Yeah.
1: It's not a must see. You don't have to go see it. But I do love Doc Brown, and uh, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he has a good bit in that movie. He does. So, anyways, um, as for me, I I don't know if I'm gonna go watch a documentary. It, it seems interesting enough, and I do enjoy documentaries. Um, I definitely a niche. Yeah, it is. And I don't know if you know this, but I was not allowed to listen to Christian contemporary music until I was, I think, a teenager. Wow. Really. And so that tr- early 2000s that you talk of, not not anything I'm completely familiar with. Right. So right. like, I was kind of a fan of Toby Mac as he was getting into his later years. Yeah. When Eye on It was a thing, yeah. that's kind of when I started to know Toby Mac and... I had some appreciation for some of the songs, you know, five to ten years after they were the biggest thing yes. ever. You know yeah, what I mean? <laughs> yes, I know
0: exactly what you mean. Yep.
1: And so I think like the the rising artist that comes to mind is like a Jamie Grace, you know, back in uh, but that was back in the day. And that was that was ten years ago. And so yeah. I would say today, I, I truly don't really listen to any Christian contemporary artist. I would say the most Christian thing I listen to is Kanye West and his music. And I do have a pretty deep appreciation for the recent 10th Avenue North album. Oh yeah. They did the acoustic, a lot of their acoustic hits or uh, their hits redone acoustically. Yes. yeah. And I think it has a much better sound when they're not trying to be pop. Yeah. There's soul in it. There's appreciation to be had in the lyrics. And so that is kind of my go-to and um, instrumental Christian music, you know, the old hymns and whatnot. So yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm, so, I'm sorry, Nathaniel, I don't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Docu doesn't,
0: Docu doesn't really sound like it's for me. <laughs> All right, well, there you have it, folks. Uh, thanks for joining this conversation with us. Um, and uh, I guess for the Fad Dads, uh, I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Seth.
1: And, and this has been the Fad Dads.